0: Well, good morning again, everyone. For those that are here and those that are watching online, we have something special for you today. When we ended the reconciliation series in January, I just asked random people, "What is there anything else that you want to hear about, talk about, you know, that kind of stuff? Number one issue, by far, clear. We want to talk about the policing issue in America. And so we have some uh, wonderful panelists here this morning that are going to help us do uh, just that, Please have your have a seat. Well, it's Palm Sunday, as we said a few moments ago, and uh, we don't have any palms, but we do have peeps in the back. I hope you saw them when they came in, because we're going to have a peep uh, for you before you leave. Um, it kind of worked out perfect. I think God worked this out perfectly for us, because Palm Sunday, you read that story as we enter into Holy Week this week and culminates with next Sunday, which is what? What's next Sunday? Anybody know? Easter. Easter, yes. It's going to be a great day, Easter. So as you read the story of Christ, he enters into Jerusalem, right, on Palm Sunday. He's the conquering king, but he's not riding a war horse. He's riding a donkey, which shows that he conquers by love, not by force. It's fascinating. And then pretty much the next story that you read in most of the Gospels is is that he goes to the temple and he kicks out the money changers and he kicks out the animals and all that and you're thinking what in the world's going on what's going on there well here's what's going on there is that people were being treated unjustly so he's dealing with injustice so Palm Sunday deals with injustice Uh, there. And also there was segregation. So all this was going on where he kicked everybody out was in the court of the Gentiles. And what God wanted to happen in the temple was the court of Gentiles wanted all the temple area to be a place for all people from all over the world to gather together to connect with God. And what they had turned the court of the Gentiles into was a circus. It's a very unwelcoming atmosphere. So there was segregation. There was injustice. And the church folk had not created a good environment for people to come, all kinds of people to come and connect with God. So Jesus is now dealing with all of this. It just so happens to be on Palm Sunday. It just so happens that we're going to deal with some of that here this morning. So I'll introduce the panel to you if I can. Over here to my left is Marissa. Everybody say hi, Marissa. Marissa. Good morning. Good morning. Marissa has been a tremendous help to me. Uh, We got to know each other. I guess it was November. Marissa sent me an email and said, hey, by the way, uh, you want any help with the reconciliation series coming up? And I said, absolutely, I do. And she was serious when she said, do you want any help? Because she has helped me a ton. So if you thought there was any redeeming value to the series we did in January, you owe a lot of that thanks, actually, to Marissa. She's the managing director of My Brother's Keepers Alliance. Yes, you can clap. Thank you. She's worked on Wall Street. She's worked in the White House. Uh, she's a Green Bay Packers fan, which is Go okay. Go back. Yes, I see you. It's okay. It's okay because we're going to introduce you to a Cowboys fan in a minute, and you know how we feel. You know how we feel about that. so you know uh uh, a number of months ago i don't know how far back it was but we had a bunch of people who went to yale and they were on stage at different times like different groups came on and somehow it came up about yale so the final person was like the fifth person who said yeah i went to yale or whatever too i just off the cuff quipped real briefly i said oh i'm a harvard man myself and everybody immediately laughed like there wasn't a there wasn't like a sec two like. Is he joking? Is he no no, it's like immediate ha ha ha, ha no way, right? I can't think. <laughs> well very hurtful. Very hurtful. I not remember this say so. Actually, Marissa went to Harvard, so I know somebody went to Harvard, so that's really cool. And that is Marissa and, and she's she's great. So everybody will wanna stop her and thank her along with all the panel uh, this morning. Thank you for that. This is Mark Mitchell. Morning. Many of it, yes. Go ahead. You say oh, it again. I, say I, it. I ain't right. Okay. No. was it. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. There you go. Yeah, first service he said something about the Cowboys, so we, we, America's we, team. We, we, team. we, we, we took care of that. We took care of that immediately. So, many of you know Chris and Carlene Mitchell, that they kind of team leads for our newcomers table. This is Chris Mitchell's brother, Mark. They uh, look some alike. They sound a lot alike. And how you tell the difference is, is this is the good brother. Thank you. Appreciate I, it. And Chris is the bad brother. So he those heard you heard it in address, the first yeah, service. So he's brother, gone now. He, he heard it in the first Mark's a law enforcement officer here in Northern Virginia, and we're thrilled that, uh, that he is here. Thank you. Mark Anderson, clinical uh, social worker here in Northern Virginia. I think I've known Mark almost my entire life. It seems like we've known each other a very, very long time. Just a, a, a great guy. He leads our Monday night prayer meeting that happens in Balston. It's a fantastic prayer meeting. He's also on our prayer team, and so Mark, thank you for being a part of the panel. And yep, it was a pleasure. And then there's my man, Q McRae all the way down there hey. on, on the end. <laughs> Q is a uh, local journalist, he's an anchor for ABC News. But most importantly, he was in my tables for eight group that we did here at, at Grace. Say hello, Q. Hello,
1: hello, hello. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, You've heard me say this a million times. I will never stop saying If this church is anything, we're a family. If we are anything, we are a family. Uh, Some of you know Cynthia Butler. You're going to see her on video in just a moment. You might say, why is she on video and not on the stage? I'll tell you why. She is in Jamaica right now. She's (laughs) watching on that camera right now, live on a beach in Jamaica. Hello, Cynthia. (laughs) We should all go visit her as soon as this is over. Uh, And so Cynthia is going to tell us a, a story. And the reason I say, if anything, we're a family. You know, when you have something going on with one of your family members, it concerns you. And what we're going to talk about is something that happened in Cynthia's life and in her son Sean's life, and you're going to hear some other stories here today. This should concern all of us. What you need to know is we're not coming down on law enforcement. We're not coming down on law enforcement. Because Mark told me, you come down on us, I'm going to give you speeding tickets every day the rest of your life. That's not going to happen. I give warning tickets most of the time. I'm a warning ticket. Okay. So that's not the purpose. We do want to create some awareness. We don't want to pray because God has called his church to be a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus takes all cultural barriers down in the temple. That's what it's all about. We want to do that. We want to pray. We want to plan towards that. And so we want to acknowledge that there's something that's going on. So Cynthia is going to tell you a story that she went through. Before she does, I'm going to read you Romans chapter 12, some selected verses. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. There's a pattern in this world, and as Christians, we are to be countercultural to that. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. All right, let's go to the screen and the video and uh, listen to Cynthia.
2: So, um, John asked me to share my story with you all. Um, And this story is really about my son, Sean, and I and our experience um, as it relates to reconciliation and our experience. Um, And so what I wanted to make sure was that I really wanted to do some introspection as I shared with you all today. And I just really thank God for Jesus. I thank him for the opportunity to heal and to be refreshed and renewed and to be forgiving Um, because it's hard to live in America in black skin. Um, And when you are the mother of a young black man, that's even more difficult The story that I'm going to share with you today happens thousands of times across this country. Um, One afternoon, one evening, Sean was on his way home from work. And as he began to drive home, he was stopped. Um, And when he was stopped, he had no idea because the car was registered. It's a lovely car. And the first thing the officer asked him was Is this car stolen? because it's, you know, it's a Mercedes, but I've been working a long time. So, um, you know, we we like to enjoy good things in life. And so um, they asked him to step outside of the car. Um, It was late at night. He was coming off of his job because he works like three to 11. And he did comply because I have taught him to be a person who respects the law and respects authority. So they asked him to step out of the car. They searched his car and um, just left him, they wouldn't even allow him to get back into the car. And so I got there about, maybe about an hour later. And when I saw him, I drove up and there he was, all six foot one, sitting on the curb. The officer would not even allow him to return um, inside the car. And so he was sitting there, I got there and I thought to myself, anything could have happened to him sitting on the curb. And so um, I asked him, well, what happened? He said, well, mom, the police officer said that he couldn't tell if it was a Virginia plate or not so that was the reason he stopped me and I you know just just that happening in and of itself made no sense to me and so then I um, you know we got home and so the next day he was like mom you know can you think about maybe coming to pick me up I said no Sean you know it's kind of late you know he's like I'm really afraid and he was really traumatized by this experience Um, It was not the first time, regrettably, and unfortunately it won't be the last time that he was stopped um, for what we call in our community DWB, driving while black. Um, So I I have two questions for those of you all who are listening to this today. Who is willing in the community to stand up for the Sean's that are in our community? And then my final question would be to you. As you interact with people who are different from you, who may believe differently than you, who may look different than you, ask yourself this one question. What would Jesus do? Thank you for listening to my story.
0: Okay, so uh, like I said... Cynthia's like family to me. Uh, This is a big concern for her and for uh, Sean. And so when I heard the story, I think we all just need to be aware of it and we need to be prayerful about it. And we also need to think about how can we, through Christ like behavior, move the needle in a positive direction about that. And that's what today is all about. So I'm going to turn it over to Marissa. It's all you.
3: Excellent. Thank you. So, first of all, before I begin, I actually just want to say a thank you to you, Pastor John. You know, this is not an easy discussion or series to lead, um, but, it's, but it's critical. So thank you for your leadership on this important topic. Uh, I think we're going to put a photo up in a second. So this is my father uh, trying to steal the show at my wedding. <laughs> and- and, you know, this is, when I think about my dad, this is what I think of. I mean, he's a total goofball. And I was telling Pastor John, um, since losing my mom, now almost ten years ago, he's kind of moved past the grieving stage, and now he's, he's like a teenager. You know, gets up whenever he wants to, he's retired, he's got a cool car, just enough money to be a little bit dangerous. Um, and so, you know, last summer when we had all of those horrible incidents that we saw um, with black men being shot by police and then, you know, the Dallas Police Department coming under fire, I was really worried about him. Um, You know, I can remember waking up just being full of anxiety and I was particularly embarrassed when my 93-year-old grandmother called me for one of our weekly chats and she asked me if I was afraid and to have to tell this woman who's lived through know, God only knows what in almost a hundred years that yes, it's twenty sixteen and I'm scared. I mean it was it was horrible. Um and then I had to ask myself, you know, per Romans twelve, what am I gonna do? You know, how am I gonna use myself? How am I gonna use my friends, my spouse, our community to try and make a difference? And you know, I'm married to a white guy, and so I know that there is a difference in terms of not only the way that he's treated, but the way that I think about him and frankly, the way that i don 't have to worry about him, and so you know this is the work that I do day to day and it 's really important to me as a Christian that we figure out how together we can make a difference here because it's it 's painful it 's complicated, but if we don 't start here, the work 's just not going to get done um, and so I think the first step forward is probably just through understanding so i 'm hoping that by sharing a couple of facts with you all and then giving these gentlemen an opportunity to share their stories, we can leave here with a better understanding of not only the issue, but also, you know, what are some solutions and what can we all do to make this better? So a few a few facts for you all. Uh, first of all, who's been pulled over? Hi, yeah, okay. On average, 80% of Americans who are pulled over by police believe that they've been pulled over for a reason. You know, I've seen the flashing lights and been like, oh crap, you know, I shouldn't have been driving that fast. How am I going to get out of this? That's normal. Unfortunately, on average, uh, African Americans are two and a half times more likely to be shot and killed by law enforcement, regardless of the circumstances. An unarmed black man is five times more likely than a white man to be shot and killed by police. And in 2015, of all police shootings that ended with fatalities, 40% ended with a black man being dead. And black men only make up 6% of the U.S. population. So there's clearly an issue that we need to address. I think those are some alarming statistics. And I'm going to turn it over to Q to share a story about an encounter he had with law enforcement.
1: Yes, thank you very much. Good morning, Grace. Good morning. All right, so um, I consider myself a getting pulled over expert because uh, I've been pulled over 25, 30 times, but I've only received six tickets. So what does that tell you? Um, I like to joke to say, saying that I, I should need to write a book about how to get yourself out of a ticket, make millions. But um, when I do get pulled over, I try to be as, um, as conscientious and, and, um, and aware of my surroundings as possible. Um, I know police officers have a really tough job, and because of my job, I, I know what they go through pretty regularly. So um, this story takes place in Cleveland uh, back in 2015, a couple of months after the Tamir Rice shooting, uh, which is a case where a 12-year-old black boy was shot and killed by a Cleveland police officer uh, because he was playing with a toy gun in a park. Uh, they pulled up and shot him within three seconds. So um, the, um, the relations with police in Cleveland at this time are dicey at best. And I'm driving to work, and I see the all-too-familiar blue flashing lights. So automatically, I kick into I'm getting pulled over mode. First thing I do is I press the uh, hazards to let the officer know that I'm I aware that I'm getting pulled over. Second thing I do is find a safe place to pull over on the side of the road, which I did. He pulled up behind me. Uh, third thing I do is I put down all the windows so they have easy access to see into my vehicle. And the fourth thing I do is get set up. And what I mean by that is um, I make sure that there's nothing around me that could be conceived as a weapon. Anything black, I put in the center console. I just make sure everything's clean. If I have my work ID with me, I place it somewhere that can be easy, easily visible. Uh, so they can see it, no problems. And uh, on this day, like I said, I was heading to work, so you know, I have my shirt and tie on, but nice pocket square. Um, I thought it was looking good. But yeah, so I'm driving and uh, the last thing I do is turn off the car and I either put my hands on the steering wheel or I put my hands out of the window so they can see my hands at all times. And for whatever reason, this officer didn't get out of the car immediately. It took him about 10 minutes and I'm wondering, what, like, what's the deal? But when he gets out, finally, he gets out and he starts creeping to the side towards my car with his hand on his gun. It's not out, but it's on his holster. And I'm thinking to myself, what, like, what's what's wrong and the first thing he says is, um, who's in the car with you? Who's in the car with you? And I'm like, um, officer, absolutely uh, no one. I'm in the car by myself. Whenever I get pulled out, I get very, very polite. Okay? So um, next question is, um, do you have any weapons? Are you armed? Are you armed? I said, no, I, I have nothing in my hands. And there are no weapons in the vehicle, I assure you. And, uh, he goes, well, uh, uh who, why are your hands out the window? I said, so you can see that I have nothing in my hands. So by this point, he can see in the vehicle, he can see that I have two car seats in the back and a bunch of toys on the floor. And, um, he goes, why do you have your, your hands out the window? And I said, well, you know, to let you know, and I, I just moved here from Los Angeles. Uh, you know, so what we do in LA, we put our hands out the window so you can see that I don't have anything in my hands. Well, well, I called in backup. That's why I took 10 minutes. I turn to my right and I see four officers. Um, two with their guns drawn, not pointed at my car, but guns drawn by their sides and two other officers looking into my vehicle. So they knew I hadn't, like, no one in there. They were, who knows how long they were there? I didn't know. So, um, he goes, give me your license and registration. I said, well, I'll kindly do that for you, officer, but, um, I need to get an okay from you because, my registration's in the glove compartment, and my wallet uh, has my driver's license. He goes, well, go ahead and do it, but do it slowly. So I you know, calmly get the registration, give it to him, give him my uh, ID, and he walks back to his car. Now, in the meantime, I have four officers here, right? And uh, they start talking to me, asking me uh, you know, where I'm off to. I say, work. They go, what's your name? I say, uh, Q. McCray." Actually, I said, quicy I said, quicy McCray. And um, they go, well, where do you work? Oh, that's a Channel 19 um, uh badge i was like yeah yeah, i work for channel 19 he goes what do you do there i said well i'm the new early morning anchor uh he goes oh you're, you're on tv i'm like yeah yeah and um <laughs> oh you're the new guy who goes by the letter i was like yeah yeah i go by q and my wife my wife wants to know what that q stands for i say "Quincy," and i go like oh, oh that's why you go by q it's a tough unit." i was like yeah so uh long story short the cop comes back he gives me back my id and he also gives me a warning he gives me a warning and um he says, uh, "Here you go. Uh, you're you're free to go, but you have to pay this warning ticket." I said, "Well, why'd you pull me over for He says, "Well, you made an illegal U-turn back there." And I was like, "Man, thinking to myself, that's a BS." You know, I was listening to Siri. Siri doesn't make any mistakes, right? Yeah. So I make my. So I. Yeah, he says, "You know, you're not going to get any points deducted from your uh, from your record, and it's not an expensive ticket. It's thirty bucks, but you got to pay this warning ticket." And uh, that's my story. Thank you.
4: Wow.
3: Thank you, Q. Yeah. Good. So uh, first an observation and then a question On the observation side, you mentioned your badge yes. And the importance of having that on the front seat of the car I have a cousin who's a doctor not far from here And he drives a sports car And he drives around with his white coat on the passenger seat Whenever he doesn't have his wife or kids with him Because right. he feels like it like validates him right. um, Which seems unnecessary But he deems it necessary at this point I'm sure you get that.
1: Yeah, completely, completely.
3: <laughs> what kept you from getting angry?
1: Two things. Um, one, I was raised in Canada. and I, Have you guys ever raised... <laughs> have you ever met an angry Canadian? No, right? So like, I'm usually like smiling like this 24-7. Um, but secondly, I have children. I have a beautiful wife. I have two great kids at home. And uh, my goal is to get home to them safely. I'm not going to cry this time. Okay. But... Um, Get home to them safely. And, and thirdly, um, my buddy Tom Rousey's up there. We work for at WJLA. And um, we do these stories all the time about police involved shootings. So we know what to do and what not to do, right? So um, I think those three things keep me calm under those circumstances. I want to get home. I want to get home. I work with Tom. You know. <laughs> That's,
3: fair. <laughs> That's fair. Thank you. Thank you. Mark, can, can, oh, sorry. can sorry. I please, just one please. teacher?
0: Yeah. Just
1: one quick yeah. one.
3: Just one. Q,
0: because Q told that story at the tables for eight. Mark, real quick, just like yes. what is the ideal then? Because that's what Q said at the end of at the, our tables. What's the ideal traffic stop look like? Oh. Sure. like? He puts his hands out the windows because that's what they do in L.A. But
4: so so traffic stops, traffic stops for law enforcement officers are uh, next to domestic violence calls when we actually respond to residences. Um, probably one of the most dangerous. Uh, Things that we can do. I know it, you know, appears to be routine because you see as you're driving along, and even when I'm off or before I was an officer, you're always thinking it's a cop, you know, an episode of cops. You're like, oh, someone's someone's going to jail, something's happening. You're looking (laughs) and watching everything, just and sometimes it's nothing but just a disabled motorist, and just see all the lights and and we're helping. But, but more specifically, when that traffic stop uh, occurs, it's there's a big question mark, right? There's a question mark for that law enforcement officer, but also the question mark for that citizen that's being pulled over at that point. Uh, and, you know, whether that's during day work hours or 3 o'clock in the morning. As an officer, I've worked the day shift. I've also worked the midnight shift where I'm relying on a flashlight and not a lot of street lights. But but nonetheless, um, the goal is to be able to uh, deal with the traffic violation and the reason that the, the citizen was pulled over and to do that as safe as as safe as possible not only for the officer but also for the citizen so when we approach um, a lot of times okay when there's potentially a, a delay before we initially approach and of course we have to enter our location so that's always documented on the location of where we're at and where we're actually conducting the traffic stop by policy we are not allowed to conduct traffic stops without there being documentation of where it's occurring not only because of a safety thing but also to, to be able to track where the traffic stops are occurring and who we're pulling over. So that's always that going to be in our CAD system and over the radio. So sometimes there's a little bit of a delay as we're you know, making that entry. Um, as we get out and exit the vehicle, um, ultimately, right away, you know we're typically going to, depending on you know, state troopers, when they're on 66, you, you still have numerous cars that are passing, so you try to figure out safely um what side of the the uh, car would be best for you to move on would it be the driver side the passenger side because nonetheless you're always trying to make contact with that driver and once you do as we're approaching we we are observant right because we we don't know who's in that car we don't know um if it's the grandmother or we don't and we don't know if it's someone that just committed an armed robbery it's again the big question mark so as we approach and make that, that traffic stop, we make contact with the driver. Um, ultimately, what we want to do is we want to be able to see hands. And, and what I mean by that is it, it's not that your hands have to be out of the window as if this was a felony vehicle stop or you just committed a, a bank robbery, but your hands visible, whether you're resting them on the steering wheel. Um, we, we often ask, especially at night, you know, whether you turn on the internal uh, light within, inside your vehicle. Um, it, it's, just, it's just helpful because as we explain and we stand there with you to explain, we should always identify ourselves, also explain why we conducted the traffic stop. Um, we're going to always ask for your license and registration. And when we do that, um, it, it's important that, for instance, if you say, and I've had my wallet in you know, my back pocket and that does happen, but if you do, just explain what you're doing, explain your movements. Um, if you're saying, well, officer, you're at, you just asked for my license and registration. It's in my back pocket. Do you mind if I just go ahead and reach? And, and again, it's, it's communication. Um, that, that is the key um, at that point. Communication, communication, so we know what's going on. Um, and, and, again, but also on us to be professional so you know what's going on because you, you have the right to know why you've been pulled over. So then, of course, as we as we move back um, to the vehicle, and it's I meaning back to our cruiser, a lot of times the question comes up as, "Okay, well, well, what's next?" Because I've been there too. Am I going to get a ticket? You know, is this a warning situation? I'm going to get a ticket. The officer's taking a little while. The the big thing that that we immediately ask is, please do not exit your vehicle um, unless instructed, because when you exit the vehicle after we've asked you to please stay in the vehicle, When I get it, sometimes I've had situations where it's just, hey, oh, I found my you know, license. I found it, officer. I was just trying to show you. And I've had situations where people have gotten out of the car because they were upset and they were coming back. At that point, that's where that question mark comes in. That's where things potentially escalate because we don't know what's happening next um, from that standpoint. So the, the, the biggest thing is, again... Even if you even if you disagree with the traffic stop and the reason why you're getting a ticket, um, your signature is not an admission of guilt. It's just a promise to appear in court. So you will have your day to contest it. You know, that is your right as a citizen. You're able to do it. But during this time frame of this traffic stop, we've just got to have the communication to get past the stop. Because I've even had people, and I'm trying to be cognizant of, of time, but I've, I've had citizens that, that in the moment, you know, they contest the ticket and I get it. They say, okay, well, now I don't think I was speeding. Well, I'm not going to sign it. Well, if you don't sign it, um, because again it's not an admission of guilt, but it's something that's needed in order for me to pass the paperwork. I'm required by law to take you into custody and take you before a magistrate, at which time not only are you going to jail now, but then your, your vehicle's also being towed. Something that would not have happened before with our 15-minute contact, if you said, you know what, officer, I'm signing it, but I'll see you in court, which is your right. and, and So those, I, I would say uh, those are some of the most critical things during the traffic stop, to get past that big question mark for not only the citizens but also the police officer when those lights come on.
3: That's great. That's really helpful. And I will tell you, I didn't know that you know, if you don't sign, you're going to jail. That's, that's good to know. Good to know. <laughs> Next He's time I get caught speeding, I'll remember that. <laughs> um, Mark, uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on Q's story and Mark's comments and just how that relates to experiences that you've had with law enforcement.
5: Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I'm thankful that I've had relatively few um, engagements with, uh, with police. Um, you know, some that uh, started early, but, but uh, you know, very, very spread out uh, over all the years that I've been driving, which is almost like 55 years. Uh, so I, I just never had anything like what Q was talking about ever happen to me. And uh, it's pretty enlightening, though, to hear from uh, from Mark's perspective around, you know, how do you try to make this a safe engagement for everybody concerned you
3: know great great thank you mark i would just love to hear more from you around you know what is what is working to improve relationships between community members particularly communities of color and law enforcement
4: and and i'll say this and i I said it in the in the first service when so when you look at you know in, in light of everything going on over the last few years nationally um uh, you know, it's one thing I think it's important to say that the vast majority, keyword the vast majority of, of police officers are out here nationally serving honorably and their goal is to keep their community safe from those violent offenders, from that active shooter situation. Um, th- that's their calling and, and, and that's why they, they sign on and, and drive that patrol cruiser. Um, with that said, there's there's a tremendous amount of, of, of public trust that's be bestowed upon us to be given such authority as law enforcement officers. And um, it, it's so important on, on the front end that, of course, when when we start the hiring process, that we're, of course, hiring the right people. And we're, we're doing thorough and background investigations and polygraphs and looking at, at, at full backgrounds to ensure that the, the individuals that we are giving this public trust to are deserving of it and can uphold it. Uh, another thing as well is once you're, you know, no longer in the academy and you're out and you're, you're patrolling, um, law enforcement changes, society changes, and it's important that our, we're adaptable and, and, and we're open to hearing the perspective of the members of the community that we serve so that we look at our policies and we look at how we're continuously training our officers to ensure that we're providing the best law enforcement services that we can to the community. Then a, a, a very vital piece is is ultimately the accountability component. Um, when you have situations like those that, that you've heard on this stage, it, it's so important that, that we as law enforcement officers don't take a blind eye to that, that, that we ensure That when there is a concern, that there is a complaint, that members of the community that we serve, they have the opportunity to properly file that complaint. In our department, uh, for instance, we'll take it by text message, a phone call, in person, email, anonymous, you name it. Because uh, we owe that to the community that we serve, to that accountability uh, piece. And, you know, when you have situations, you have administrative investigations that ultimately determine... Uh, you know where policies followed and could lead potentially to an officer being terminated, and then also you have criminal investigations that that occur as well to see if there was a, a violation, whether federal or uh, state law or local law as well by that officer. So that's so important that we hold ourselves uh, to that same standard as far as um, accountability. With that said. Um, as far as really focusing on, on, on building relationships in the community, uh, a big word that I feel like I have to put in front of relationships is sustainable relationships. And by doing that, I, I think it's so important for us as local law enforcement to ensure that we maintain a level of open dialogue with the members of the community that we serve, that goes beyond just this uniform and badge, that goes just beyond when we're riding around in a patrol cruiser. We have to be able to get out of the cruiser, and we have to be able to be responsive to you know, businesses, to uh, residences, and uh, you know, youth, and, and also, of course, uh, their parents or adults that are just living in neighborhoods that is not just based on us being dispatched uh, to that area or because we're there to, to take someone into custody. Um, it's important that we have uh, you know regular which we do at our district stations regular community meetings where on on a monthly basis uh, anyone from the community can come and actually hear from our commanders they can speak with our officers and kind of express you know their concerns or things that they're seeing again that that key piece of of voice and realizing that it's it's not a us versus them mentality I'll tell you the in my mindset as a law enforcement officer, the only us versus uh, them mentality that I have are those that are, that are violent offenders, that I know are a danger to all within the community, you know, or that active shooter that is going to try to impact a mall or school. That's the us versus uh, them mentality, but we're, we're fortunate that that's a small percentage that we have to focus on. The the vast majority, of course, are our community and, and uh, us as officers we're part of that community my wife is is standing in the background bryson is there too shout out to them back there i'm surprised he's not trying to run up on the stage but i bring those examples up to say again i i'm not in my uniform right now because i'm i'm not a robot right i have a personality uh there's uh Again, I'm in support of the Dallas Cowboys. Y'all know that too. And 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 and. (laughs) sorry, I knew that was gonna wife's gonna get on me. My wife's actually a Redskins fan. I don't know how. how. So there you go. See, I I, I, I recovered. (laughs) But 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 must be an interesting house. Oh yeah, Yeah. it is. It is. Cowboys. Bryson will be in the Cowboys. But uh, but Mm. you know, and and I bring them up to you know say obviously my wife, the love of my life, my son bryson uh but but that's my family there meaning i'm part of your community too i I enjoy my profession um but officers are part of the community and it's so important for us to be part of that community and not only again when we're being dispatched or again when we're there to apprehend someone i'll just give this one example of uh, one event that we did um that we all planned out it was it was a public safety day and it was uh, it involved not only the fire department, the police department, the sheriff's office, the FBI, um, various community leaders, HOAs, and came together. Um, there, there's a neighborhood where we had a lot of criminal activity, and we actually had a lot of search warrants that were done with our SWAT team and different things of that nature. So, a lot of times, right, it, based on every, it seems like every other week we're seeing the SWAT team and different things going on. Um, what we decided to do was. was, was to change that narrative and, and try to start in again, not that we're not going to hold those violent offenders still criminal, but also we realize there are a lot of great people still within that community that are law abiding and they want a safe community and they want relationships with the police officers that serve them. So what we did was, um, it, it probably looked like a SWAT operation cause we got our helicopter. We landed that, um, we had motorcycles, police cars, uh, fire trucks, uh, you you name it. We had everything. Face paint. We did everything, and and literally it was an open grass area where we were able to. Our goal was to get the community out, and they knew about it. We put flyers out and everything. But I said, you know what? It's like nine o'clock in the morning. Let's. People are looking because they're like, up. Oh, something's going down. We see them. They're staging. <laughs> something's going down. So, anyways, I had everyone pretty much turn on all of their sirens. And they turned them on, the lights all at once, and everyone started looking out of the windows. And then we just, one by one, started waving people out and said, whoa, no, we're not here. No one's in trouble. We're not arresting anyone. No, we're just here to hear music. We're, we cooked hot dogs, hamburgers. Uh, we were, the kids were, we were, our bike team was out there showing them for the bike team rodeo, motorcycles, taking pictures. McGruff was out there. But we changed <laughs> the narrative. And, and, and I'm not saying this to be like, Oh, okay, well, pat me on the back, because no, because, again, it comes back to sustainable relationships, and we can't just be there and do this one time, but there has to be a commitment by law enforcement agencies to do this on a regular basis, and I think that's how we're going to grow, and that's how we're going to work together as one community. Mm-hmm. So, great.
0: One. Can I sneak in one more
3: quick one? Okay, okay. so one last quick question. We're, and this is a question for uh, all three of you, and we're going to start with Mark with a K. You know, what do you feel, based on your experiences, we as individuals can do? You know, Grace is an action-oriented congregation, and so I would love to hear your perspective first, Mark. On you know, what do you think people can do? In particular, frankly, you know, what do you think white people can do?
5: Well, I think that uh, that we can maybe be a little bit more aware of some of the times that uh, that we just are very are treated very well and uh to be able to hear stories of you know what goes on with uh, with people who haven't experienced that kind of uh, positive treatment whether by police or other other agencies i get it focused police today and uh i i think all of these situations you, you know i i just see that you know in a spiritual dimension that uh Nothing, no change happens. No, you were talking about sustainability, and, and certainly no lasting change happens outside of prayer and lifting, uh, lifting all these things up um, as in consideration to God. Being able to acknowledge to uh, to others, like like you, like Rashawn and, and Cynthia, who have, uh, you know, experienced something that just feels like way too big a reaction to say okay we we stand beside you we love you we care about you you're part of our family and uh as necessary we want to be able to uh to back you up and and to to say
1: these things need to change
3: thank you thank you
1: i think we're doing it right now that's what i love about this church like john means business okay when <laughs> you bring anything to his attention he's going to do something about it So I think this is um, a a great starting point, Um, you know, just hearing stories and getting everybody's perspective on things. Uh, But I think uh, we all need to go home, um, whether you're black, white, or whatever color you are, um, and and think and try to be more um, accepting, more patient with, with people in general. Um, I mean, we're, I mean, this is about police um, relations, but I can tell you guys stories about me walking into an elevator and women clutching their purses and running off into a corner, and I'm in a, in a suit and tie, so um, it, it goes both ways. And, and even for black people out there, um, you know, uh, we we're 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 um, we're guilty sometimes too. So um, it, it goes both ways. Yeah.
3: Mark.
4: I, I think it just comes back to the focus of of, of a desire to, to try to really build trust in, in a level of open-mindedness to say, okay, this might have been an experience that I had that was not an experience that I you know, believe should have gone this way. However, I'm not going to take a paintbrush effect and believe that uh, all within the law enforcement community are like this. I'm willing to at least listen and give that benefit of the doubt, uh, you know, from that situation, just like it's also incumbent on us again to realizing in communities that that we have to uh, that we're regularly being dispatched to, and and you know that maybe there's a higher level of criminal element just based on when we get dispatched there that we're having an arrest based on the call. To realize to not also take a paintbrush effect and to say, wait, there are a lot of great people within this community too that are law abiding. We're we're here and we're doing one part of the job which is apprehending those that have violated the law, but the other part of that job, again, is building relationships with those, deal within those communities that have not violated the law. Um, that's important, and, and that's the only way I feel that we're, we're going to really build that sustainable level of, of, of a relationship and trust. Um, but it's not just on the community. It's also us as, as law enforcement officers, so it, it's, it's two-sided for sure.
3: Great. Thank you. Right. Pastor John?
0: All right, I'm going to wrap up uh, just by saying this very uh, briefly. I talked in the beginning, two things, prayer and planning. So prayer, uh, I could give you a lot of different uh, times in the Bible where prayer leads to social renewal, which is something that we are in constant need of. Acts chapter 2 and 3 point that out very, very well. So I want to encourage you to pray, to pray about this, to pray about what happens in our community, pray about what happens in our nation and in the world. Mark uh, Anderson here leads a Monday night prayer meeting. Uh, a couple months ago, we, we did a focused time on Monday night. We had about a, we had a pretty packed house there at the Boston office in the sanctuary there. We heard some stories, we read some scriptures, and we prayed specifically about this and i want to say as a church we need to do this god calls us to be a house of prayer we should pray about this and we should pray for our law enforcement And we should pray for our military who have tremendous intense pressure on them. So just as a pastor, I stand up here, I speak each week. I'm an introvert, so this is very stressful. I was just talking to Chris about this last night. I feel like every week I'm running a marathon because it's stressful for me as an introvert. But it's nowhere near as stressful, like for police and law. enforcement. I remember my son one time years ago, his his teacher was coming coming to church. And he said to me right before I walked up on the stage, the priest says, Now, don't mess up, you know. But... (laughs) That's nowhere near the pressure that on a constant basis that our law enforcement... So we need to pray for our law enforcement. We need to pray for our military. This should be a regular practice. We see something going on. Let's, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray about it. And now let's plan. So, I really like what Mark said about what you did and came into that community and you built some bridges and you made some connections. So, we have lots of ways to do that, whether that's with our mentoring program with Casa, Lago or Little Lights, our partners that we do. But if mentoring's not for you, there's a lot of different other ways you can get involved and you can build relationships. You know, for those of you who've been around for a while, you know, we did the big food packing down the gym and the Arlington County Police came and showed up and worked with us. Great opportunity to shake their hands, say thank you for what you're doing. I'm, I'm praying for you, right? Great opportunity. We're going to try to have them back when we do another Food Truck Sunday soon. So there's a lot of different ways, but I would love for you to plan to go out of your way this week. It's Holy Week. Maybe give somebody a smile, a kind word, or a kind action, something to do to make a difference for Jesus Christ in somebody's life. All right, so before I pray, can we just have a huge round of applause for this... Uh, I'm going to end in prayer, and I'm going to tell you this. Here's the whole reason why we did this. We want to move the needle in a positive direction the way that Jesus Christ wants us to do. Let's pray towards that end. Will you join me? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for everybody on this panel. I thank you for this community that's here. Lord, help Grace Community Church, you know, in our place right here in this community, to to be the salt and the light, to, to be what Romans 12 talks about, for us to be a positive force for Jesus Christ and to see things move in a, in a positive direction, Christ-like direction for you. Lord, bless our law enforcement. Protect them. Watch over them. Lord, I ask for our community. Lord, please, don't let any of these incidents. Sometimes it can just go off the rails so quickly. Lord, protect us from that. Guide things with love in Christ's name everybody said amen. amen thanks for listening to
5: this week's message grace community church a church for people who don't go to church meets on sundays at 9:30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in arlington virginia connect with us anytime at trygrace.org